0: Chapter Sixty Two of Varney the Vampire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roger Moline. Varney the Vampire, Volume One, by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter Sixty Two. VARNEY'S VISIT TO THE DUNGEON OF THE LONELY PRISONER IN THE RUINS Evident it was that Marchdale was not near so scrupulous as Sir Francis Varney in what he chose to do. He would, without hesitation, have sacrificed the life of that prisoner in the lonely dungeon, whom it would be an insult to the understanding of our readers not to presume that they had long ere this established in their minds to be Charles Holland. His own safety seemed to be the paramount consideration with Marchdale, and it was evident that he cared for nothing in comparison with that object. It says much, however, for Sir Francis Varney, that he did not give in to such a bloodthirsty feeling, but rather chose to set the prisoner free, and run all the chances of the danger to which he might expose himself by such a course of conduct, than to ensure safely, comparatively, by his destruction. Sir Francis Varney is evidently a character of strangely mixed feelings. It is quite evident that he has some great object in view, which he wishes to accomplish almost at any risk, but it is equally evident, at the same time, that he wishes to do so with the least possible injury to others, or else he would never have behaved as he had done in his interview with the beautiful and persecuted Flora Bannerworth or now suggested the idea of setting charles holland free from the dreary dungeon in which he had so long been confined we are always anxious and willing to give every one credit for the good that is in them and hence we are pleased to find that sir francis varney despite his singular and apparently preternatural capabilities has something sufficiently human about his mind and feelings to induce him to do as little injury as possible to others in the pursuit of his own objects Of the two, vampire as he is, we prefer him much to the despicable and hypocritical Marchdale, who, under the pretense of being the friend of the Bannerworth family, would freely have inflicted upon them the most deadly injuries. It was quite clear that he was most dreadfully disappointed that Sir Francis Varney would not permit him to take the life of Charles Holland, and it was with a gloomy and dissatisfied air that he left the ruins to proceed towards the town, after what we may almost term the altercation he had had with varney the vampire upon that subject it must not be supposed that sir francis varney however was blind to the danger which must inevitably accrue from permitting charles holland once more to obtain his liberty What the latter would be able to state would be more than sufficient to convince the Bannerworths, and all interested in their fortunes, that something was going on of a character which, however supernatural as it might seem to be, still seemed to have some human and ordinary objects for its ends. Sir Francis Varney thought over all this before he proceeded, according to his promise, to the dungeon of the prisoner but it would seem as if there was considerable difficulty, even to an individual of his long practice in all kinds of chicanery and deceit, in arriving at any satisfactory conclusion as to a means of making Charles Holland's release a matter of less danger to himself than it would be likely to be if, unfettered by obligation, he was at once set free. At the solemn hour of midnight, while all was still, that is to say on the night succeeding the one on which he had held the interview with marchdale we have recorded sir francis varney alone sought the silent ruins he was attired as usual in his huge cloak and indeed the chilly air of the evening warranted such protection against its numerous discomforts had any one seen him however upon that evening they would have observed an air of great doubt and irresolution upon his brow as if he were struggling with some impulses which he found it extremely difficult to restrain i know well he muttered as he walked among the shadow of the ruins that marchdale's reasoning is coldly and horribly correct when he says that there is danger in setting this youth free but i am about to leave this place and not to show myself for some time and i cannot reconcile myself to inflicting upon him The horror of a death by starvation which must ensue it was a night of more than usual dullness and as sir francis varney removed the massy stone which hid the narrow and tortuous entrance to the dungeons a chilly feeling crept over him and he could not help supposing that even then marchdale might have played him false and neglected to supply the prisoner food according to his promise hastily he descended to the dungeons and with a step which had in it far less of caution than had usually characterized his proceedings he proceeded onward until he reached that particular dungeon in which our young friend to whom we wish so well had been so long confined from the beautiful and cheering light of day and from all that his heart's best affections most cling to speak said sir francis varney as he entered the dungeon If the occupant of this dread place live, let him answer one who is as much his friend as he has been his enemy. I have no friend, said Charles Holland faintly, unless it would be one who would come and restore me to liberty. And how know you that I am not he? Your voice sounds like that of one of my persecutors. Why do you not place the climax of your injuries by at once taking away my life? i should be better pleased that you would do so than that i should wear out the useless struggle of existence in so dreary and wretched an abode as this young man said sir francis varney i have come to you on a greater errand of mercy than probably you will ever give me credit for there is one who would too readily have granted your present request, and who would at once have taken that life of which you profess to be so wearied, but which may yet present to you some of its sunniest and most beautiful aspects. Your tones are friendly, said Charles, but yet I dread some new deception, that you are one of those who consigned me by stratagem." and by brute force to this place of durance i am well assured and therefore any good that may be promised by you presents itself to me in a very doubtful character i cannot be surprised said sir francis Varney, at such sentiments arising from your lips but nevertheless i am inclined to save you you have been detained here because it was supposed by being so a particular object would be best obtained by your absence That object, however, has failed, notwithstanding, and I do not feel further inclined to protract your sufferings. Have you any guess as to the parties who have thus confined you? I am unaccustomed to dissemble, and therefore I will say at once that I have a guess. In what way does it tend? Against Sir Francis Varney, called the Vampire. Does it strike you that this may be a dangerous candor? It may, or it may not be. I cannot help it. I know I am at the mercy of my foes, and I do not believe that anything I can say or do will make my situation worse or better. You are much mistaken there. In other hands than mine, it might make it much worse. But it happens to be one of my weaknesses that I am charged with candor. AND THAT I ADMIRE BOLDNESS OF DISPOSITION. INDEED, AND YET, CAN BEHAVE IN THE MANNER YOU HAVE DONE TOWARDS ME? YES, THERE ARE MORE THINGS IN HEAVEN AND EARTH THAN ARE DREAMT OF IN YOUR PHILOSOPHY. I AM THE MORE ENCOURAGED TO SET YOU FREE, BECAUSE IF I PROCURE FROM YOU A PROMISE WHICH I INTEND TO ATTEMPT, I AM INCLINED TO BELIEVE THAT YOU WILL KEEP IT. I SHALL ASSUREDLY KEEP WHATEVER PROMISE I MAY MAKE. Propound your conditions, and if they be such as honor and honesty will permit me to accede to, I will do so willingly and at once. Heaven knows I am weary enough of this miserable imprisonment. Will you promise me, then, if I set you free, not to mention your suspicions that it is to Sir Francis Varney you owe this ill turn, and not to attempt any act of revenge against him as a retaliation for it? I cannot promise so much as that. Freedom, indeed, would be a poor boon if I were not permitted freely to converse of some of the circumstances connected with my captivity. You object? I do to the former of your propositions, but not to the latter. I will promise not to go at all out of my way to execute any vengeance upon you. But i will not promise that i will not communicate the circumstances of my forced absence from them to those friends whose opinion i so much value and to return to whom is almost as dear to me as liberty itself sir francis varney was silent for a few moments and then he said in a tone of deep solemnity there are ninety-nine persons out of a hundred who would take your life for the independence of your tongue but i am as the hundredth one "'who looks with a benevolent eye at your proceedings. "'Will you promise me, "'if I remove the fetters which now bind your limbs, "'that you will make no personal attack upon me, "'for I am weary of personal contention, "'and I will have no disposition to endure it. "'Will you make me this promise?' "'I will,' "'without another word, "'but trusting implicitly to the promise which had been given to him, Sir Francis Varney produced a small key from his pocket, and unlocked with it a padlock which confined the chains about the prisoner. With ease, Charles Holland was then enabled to shake them off, and then, for the first time for some weeks, he rose to his feet, and felt all the exquisite relief of being comparatively free from bondage. "'This is delightful indeed,' he said. "'It is.' said sir francis varney it is but a foretaste of the happiness you will enjoy when you are entirely free you see that i have trusted you you have trusted me as you might trust me and you perceive that i have kept my word you have and since you decline to make me the promise which i would fain have from you to the effect that you would not mention me as one of the authors of your calamity I MUST TRUST TO YOUR HONOR NOT TO ATTEMPT REVENGE FOR WHAT YOU HAVE SUFFERED. THAT I WILL PROMISE. THERE CAN BE BUT LITTLE DIFFICULTY TO ANY GENEROUS MIND IN GIVING UP SUCH A FEELING. IN CONSEQUENCE OF YOUR SPARING ME WHAT YOU MIGHT STILL FURTHER HAVE INFLICTED, I WILL LET THE PAST REST, AND AS IF IT HAD NEVER HAPPENED REALLY TO ME, AND SPEAK OF IT TO OTHERS, BUT AS A CIRCUMSTANCE WHICH I WISH NOT TO REVERT TO but prefer should be buried in oblivion. It is well, and now I have a request to make of you, which, perhaps, you will consider the hardest of all. Name it, I feel myself bound to a considerable extent to comply with whatever you may demand of me that is not contrary to honorable principle. Then it is this, that comparatively free as you are, and in a condition as you are, to assert your own freedom, you will not do so hastily, or for a considerable period. In fact, I wish and expect that you should wait yet a while, until it shall suit me to say that it is my pleasure that you shall be free. That is, indeed, a hard condition to a man who feels, as you yourself remark, that he can assert his freedom, It is one which i have still a hope you will not persevere in nay young man i think that i have treated you with generosity to make you feel that i am not the worst of foes you could have had all i require of you is that you should wait here for about an hour it is now nearly one o'clock will you wait until you hear it strike two before you actually make movement to leave this place Charles Holland hesitated for some moments, and then he said, Do not fancy that I am not one who appreciates the singular trust you have reposed in me, and, however repugnant to me it may be to remain here a voluntary prisoner, I am inclined to do so, if it be but to convince you that the trust you have reposed in me is not in vain, and that I can behave with equal generosity to you as you can to me. Be it so, said sir francis varney i shall leave you with a full reliance that you will keep your word and now farewell when you think of me fancy me rather one unfortunate than criminal and tell yourself that even varney the vampire had some traits in his character which although they might not raise your esteem at all events did not loudly call for your reprobation i shall do so oh flora flora i shall look upon you once again after believing and thinking that i had bidden you a long and last adieu my own beautiful flora it is joy indeed to think that i shall look upon that face again which to my perception is full of all the majesty of loveliness sir francis varney looked coldly on while charles uttered this enthusiastic speech remember he said till two o'clock and he walked towards the door of the dungeon you will have no difficulty in finding your way out of this place doubtless you already perceive the entrance by which i gained admission had i been free said charles and had the use of my limbs i should long ere this have worked my way to life and liberty tis well good night Varney walked from the place and just closed the door behind him. With a slow and stately step, he left the ruins, and Charles Holland found himself once more alone, but in a much more enviable condition than for many weeks he could have called his. End of chapter 62 Recording by Roger Moline End of volume 1 of Varney the Vampire by Thomas Prescott Prest.